Hi, and welcome back to Old School. Today, we're going to be in the spiritual and emotional quadrants, and our teacher is going to be Sarah Geringer. Um, she's the author of Hidden Man and on a Country Road. Ta-da! I hope that's not backwards when that gets edited. <laughs> um, Sarah is a writer, speaker, podcaster, artist, book launch manager, of which I've been on several of the teams, or a couple anyway, creative coach, and author of six books. When she's not reading over 100 books per year, Sarah enjoys painting, baking, gardening, and playing the flute. She is a fifth-generation resident of Southeast Missouri, where she lives with her three teens and her beloved Labradors. Sarah and I follow each other on social media, and I love the posts about your daughter's cooking. I love how much you support and are in there. We belong to several groups through Compel and some other stuff. And I just love how much you support maybe fellow authors, too. I haven't seen you necessarily um, with a man's book or what have you, but, but a lot of sister authors and, and, um, you just really come from a really good perspective. It's not like you're, um, involved in, in picking over the content. You are supporting them in their story and in their voice. And I really love that because, um, walking my daughter through the journey of, of going through classes to be an author, there were several teachers who had ideologies who wanted to change the content of her stories and I just had never heard of that as being how anyone should be treated. That yes, if you want to change how it's speaking to various things, that would be one thing, but or grammar or what have you. Um, but yeah, not the content. And so I love how supportive you are and how I get to see that much um even displayed on social media, which is not 100 percent of anybody's story. So yeah. um, welcome to class, Sarah. I'm so glad to be here. You have the best guests, so I feel kind of starstruck to be one of your guests, Michelle. Oh, that's so cute. You're so sweet. <laughs> I'm just ecstatic when somebody says yes because my one of my writing my writing coach, Bob Goff, and there's another one that he pairs with, but um he was talking about how Michelle, I can have 2 million people look at my podcast. He goes, "But you want to know my click-through rate? It's seconds, not minutes." He goes, but when I have another guest on, not just me, he goes, and I have maybe only a hundred people who really stop and, and watch through. He said, I would rather have that. So he goes, if you start off with only 50 people or whatever you start off with and each passing episode, you maybe get a couple more. He goes, that's a couple more that are actually engaged as opposed to worrying about having 2 million people, you know, listening to your podcast that, that just don't even care. And yeah, um, totally. I was like, that's awesome advice that that helped me just kind of sit back and go, I'm doing it. I'm being obedient. I'm a rule follower, but I'm not going to get hung up on the analytics. I mean, I do look. <laughs> yeah, of course, people, we all do. <laughs> I have people from Poland and Ukraine. I, I don't know. <laughs> They'd be very so cool. I just think it's fun <laughs> to go. Yeah. On. Yeah. So at old school, I my philosophy is everybody's older than someone. And we all have, you know, a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from others. So I really like to hear like people's story and how they got from, you know, from their calling, if you're an author or whoever, whatever your story leads you to, to us being here. Um, I know that you've alluded in social media to a deeper story that I've only followed you for a short time. So I'm not sure how how that goes and I don't want to make you say anything you don't want to say but a lot about uh, for me what your story is and how it brought you to the point of authoring the books that you have and I and I really like the story behind Hidden Mana too. Oh, well thank you. Yeah, if, if you want to hear about my author journey, um you'll love this Michelle. Um I let's see I was in junior high school. And one of my teachers read one of my essays that I had to turn in in my, you know, English composition book. And she just made a comment. She's like, your writing is fun to read. Have you ever thought about being a writer? And so really, I hadn't thought about that because I was known as the class artist. So oh. since I was three, I've been, I, I wanted to be an artist. So I have an art degree, but I also have an English degree. So they're both part of me, but probably up until that point, that's how people saw me. They saw me as, as the artist. 
And so then I started thinking about it. And um, I was at a James Taylor concert in 1994, which he's amazing. He's still in concert. He's I, I've so- seen him. I saw him in mid 80s, I want to say, at this really old uh, arena. Uh, it was outdoor. Um, and it's not around anymore here, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's well, if you can catch him in concert, you're in for a treat. Um, so his, um, I only had, this is back in the nineties when I think I had like five CDs and they were my treasured ones. Cause they all cost like 20 bucks a piece, you know? Um, but his, you know, greatest hits album was something I listened to every single night and it really did. Um, it was kind of an anchor for me in in a time of uh, serious depression that I had in high school. And so um, so I was in St. Louis, Missouri. It was the outdoor amphitheater and he was singing Fire and Rain. And if you're a James Taylor fan, you know, that's just probably his signature song, I would say. And I'm looking and there just happened to be a full moon on the horizon. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me, uh, he said, you will be a writer. It was just as clear as a bell, not audible, but very loud in my spirit. And looking back on that now, I can see several kind of threads from that moment. One is, you know, James Taylor is a singer-songwriter. So in, in his way of his a lot of his songs are stories that he tells oh, yeah. and he connects with people through story. And so even though I was listening to a singer, it's like God was saying, look at how he moves people through his music, right? Even as an unbeliever, to my knowledge, I don't think that he's a believer, but he still moves people so deeply through his music. And I think God was saying, you're going to move people through your words as well, right? And then also another thing, and I think this is going to resonate with you, Michelle, being a writer is such a difficult um, job. It's it's one of the most difficult industries. Um, we had an editor from Writer's Digest come and talk at one of our local writers' conferences several years ago, and he said, it's the only industry I know of where people uh, have rejection as a badge of honor, because it's like, you can call yourself a professional writer if you've gotten a rejection letter, because that means you're actually putting yourself out there. And he's right. And he's like, that's why other writers have to band together because you get hit down, you know, more than you get built up, quite honestly. And it's, it's just the way that this industry works. Right. And so I believe that now I can see it more clearly in hindsight, because at the time I was just very curious and open and kind of excited about it. Um, but now I can see it was God speaking words of affirmation over me, knowing that this is a very difficult industry to be a part of. And having his affirmation on my life in this area would be the thing that would carry me through that very long, slow process of becoming a writer. And so it's one of, it's one of my most treasured memories, especially in a season of my life that was so difficult and dark that God was speaking such promise and hope over me at that time. And it just became kind of a mark on my life that nothing could shake me after that of I'm going to do this. Um, One of the things, one of the parts of my story is um, I got a full ride scholarship to the local university here. And I was actually being paid by the state of Missouri to go to school because I had bright flight. I got a certain ACT score. And so I was being paid to go to school and, um, and yet I was facing 
severe opposition for being a Christian in my classes. And this is in 95 and 96. So even back then it was hard, right? Um, and it was, it was because I was a believer. And um, so I wasn't happy, even though, I mean, I'm living at home and, you know, I, I liked my coworkers that I worked with at my job and lots of things were going right, but that was just bothering me. And um, then Christmas of 96, I guess, one of my friends that I had gone to church with, um, he came home and we were not super close friends, just friendly. Um, it was a small church, so everybody knew each other. Sure. And and he had um, he was engaged, so I knew it wasn't that kind of relationship. But he said, "I have not been able to get you off my mind lately, and I really think that you're supposed to go visit my school." And um, so I did in January. And it, and I just knew that's where the Lord was taking me and I was going to transfer and study English at this private Christian school called Covenant College, but it's got like Ivy League tuition prices. (laughs) I'd have to give up, you know, they would give me some financial aid, but it was, you know, I was going to go in debt for this. And I remember that my dad, and, and I see this very uh, from a different angle now that I'm a parent of, of um, you know, a high school senior this year who's going to go to college. Um, it is interesting because I do feel like, you know, the practical side of life is we have to focus on, right? Because we live in this world, we operate in this world, and we have to consider the practical. And so he said he had to catch a flight for work. So he made me drive him all the way up to St. Louis, two hours, two and a half hours to get to the airport. And the entire time we're in a, in my car and he's trying to talk me out of this. Right. So that's such a bad place to have this kind of conversation because you can't escape, you know, (laughs) but I remember, I remember pulling up to Lambert and he opened the door to get out. And I'm 19 years old and I'm telling my dad this. And I said, you know, if God tells me that I'm doing this, I'm doing it. I have to obey him first, even over you. I literally said that to my dad. That was hard. Yes, I can't imagine. And so he got on a plane and then I had this two and plus hour drive home to think about okay now it's official like i'm really going you know and um and so i went there and that is where my faith uh became bedrock solid and even though i had grown up in the church i had gone to a christian school um i had a personal relationship with god was just something about being in that particular environment at that particular time in my life, going to the doctrine classes, um, just being in this little Christian universe, kind of up on a mountain. Um, there was just no shaking it after that point. And um, even though lots of things in my life were hard after that point, uh, there was nothing that could shake my faith. And I think it's because, you know, I had given up something so valuable because God told me to do it. Mm. That was, it was just, that was the reason God told me to do it. And then I was in debt for years after that, you know? And I mean, it was, there were times where I was like, did I really hear you right, God? But I knew I had. Because we're not supposed to like, be in that kind of debt necessarily either. If you listen to like prevailing wisdom, you know, I know, I know. (laughs) Um, and I can't say now as a parent, would I advise my kid the exact same thing in the exact same situation? I don't know because it's a lot of money. Watch out for that ride to the airport. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But, um, but he, but he gave you your calling. 
as a writer. Gave me and my calling and that, yeah, it's, it was just solidified and, um, but yet it was, I, the one consistent thing I did was write in my journals. So I didn't start, I started blogging in 2010. That's kind of when that was a thing. Right. Right. And the only, only thing I wish I had done is continued. So I would stop and start and stop and start. Um, but if I had continued and been consistent, I think um, I would have found my voice sooner and gained my confidence. Um, but I didn't do it in earnest until 2015. Then I got serious about it. Um, and I took a class by Michael Hyatt, Get Published. I don't think it necessarily exists anymore, but um, his book, um, uh, it's about platform is excellent. And I recommend that to anyone. It's very, very good. Uh, and so I started listening to him and Donald Miller and Jeff Goins. And, um, and then around that time, I signed up for compel training and I just soaked it all in like a sponge, you know, but, um, and then I went to the She Speaks conference, which is affiliated with Proverbs 31 Ministries. That's how I met my agent. That's how I got my book contract and on. And oh, on. wow. So, yeah. So Proverbs 31 has been a huge, huge part of building my career. And now um, built, I'm kind of bringing it up to current day. Um, it's been really fun to be both a coach and a book launch manager because I'm kind of helping behind the scenes uh, to elevate these other people in their platforms. And when I've taken um, spiritual gifts tests throughout the years, I really do prefer in church serving behind the scenes. I don't know why it's just part of my personality. I don't love being out in front, probably my introversion. Um, I say I'm an introverted extrovert. Like I can do this and in smaller groups, but um, my writing coaches are telling me I need to go speak as well. And that is just, I'm dragging my feet. I need to not, I'm, I'm moving the process along, but it's a, it's a thing, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I see, understand. Podcasting, you know, is good practice for that. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So I hope so. <laughs> so. I mean, now I kind of get to help others behind the scenes. Excellent. You know, that's how I feel. And that's very, very gratifying to me to help other authors um, and aspiring authors and aspiring speakers uh, develop their platforms and then and launch their books. So, um, but there are other books inside of me. I've written six. So the one that you referred to a uh, hidden man on a country road. That's my sixth book. Um, I'm just in a season right now of healing. And so I'm not writing books. Uh, that takes a really like laser focus and a lot of emotional bandwidth. And I just don't have that right now, but I am journaling almost every day. Um, just because that's, that's what I've done since I've been 10 years old, but also just because that's a huge part of healing, I right. think. And, and my journals have just become fodder for my books, quite honestly. Absolutely. That's what Bob was telling me that in our, in our first meeting, he panned around behind him and he had all these notebooks uh, along the wall. And he said, he almost doesn't even have to write a book anymore because um, he has all everything he writes down or if he speaks somewhere and they record it he sends it to rev.com and gets a transcript i transcript every one of my podcasts on descript i have that software and then i send everything off to my my little producer and editor betsy um but yeah um he calls it like having a can of peaches on the shelf when you need to go over and and he knows i'm a pastry chef so like when i go to make the cobbler and peaches is my favorite you know anyway so we he made that joke but He's like, Michelle, when you get done with the Bible study, if something's going on, he goes, you need to sit down and just type it out. 
He goes, just have a folder on your laptop that you're just, just put it in there, even if it doesn't make sense with the last thing you put in there. So like you said, the journaling, however you want to do it, handwrite it or whatever, but it's completely um, fair game for the next book. Yeah. And, and probably yeah. the best resource because it's more, um, I guess, what do you call it? Like free writing, because you're, you're really writing from the rawness of where you are when it happened and to have to, like, I'm writing my book and it, it's, it's going to be a memoir now instead of, and then the next book, which I only thought there was one <laughs> is, is, um, the healing, but having to go back and walk through the things I went through it, it, you're talking about emotional bandwidth and man, that is, it, it's taking a lot out of me. I've healed, but re, you know, speaking it for me, I can see it. Like, like I joke that I can see it across my forehead, like a movie I'm watching. And, um, and some of that is okay, but a very large portion was just not. And, um, so I, I understand exactly what you're saying. I feel like when the Lord tapped me to write, my story. I was like, no, my, my daughter's the writer and I dragged my feet. It was probably 10 years ago. He told me to, and I just joined compel last year. And I just, you know, started listening and being obedient and getting my coaches and doing the things I should do. Um, but I, he knew too, he knew I was going to need time. Like my divorce happened in that period of time and that I was going to need to heal from that for that to be a continuing part of my story too. So, uh, I understand completely how, you know, that takes it out of you. And I'm not even, I, I guess I have to call myself a writer. Uh, my coaches tell me that's what well, I'm supposed to do. Of course you are. <laughs> um, but I haven't had anything published yet, but you know, right. I have been rejected twice. Then you are just like that editor says you're official. I'm official. Perfect. I'm going to share an idea with you that I really haven't shared anywhere else. So you're getting exclusive. Ooh. <laughs> um, one thing that I have done in my journal the last year and a half um, is I keep just some other uh, notepads, you know, like, like this type of notepad. Right. And I go back through and chronologically write a timeline of what God was speaking to me at that time. Mm. So, and then like, see how it like, plays out because in the moment that's very hard for us to see unless Absolutely. he tells us unless he gives us some kind of word or direction and then two hours later something's happening a lot of times he'll speak something over us when we're praying or you know through a sermon or a podcast or something right but then we don't see it happen for a couple months or maybe even years and so what i've been doing is typically what I do when I write in my journal, I will at least go back and read the last entry before I write just to be able to do some of that tracing of God's hand, right? But then about once a month, I'll go back through and canvas it all. And then I can add to that timeline if I can see that things are being you know, uh, answered or revealed or spoken or that kind of thing. And that's been very, that's a new thing I've done in this whole entire journey I've been on. And it's been really exciting to see like how he says something. And then like four or five months later, then I can see evidence of it. So that's very cool. That's awesome because you, you're right. Like at the moment you're writing kind of what you're going through. Um, we think we'll remember. And, and I don't know, I had a, I have a photographic and phonographic memory, but I might be running out of film sometime soon. <laughs> so, you know, to be able to have their concrete along with what you were going through, how that answer came out. And I make the joke um, that the Lord and I have dispensed with subtlety. I pray every morning in my living room out loud. I, my daughter probably thinks I'm nuts you know, when that jury's out on that. But anyway, um, but I feel like 
he's not going to give me the overarching story because I'll get in there as a human and muck it up and like try and make sure it happens. So he's going to give me direction. He's going to give me what my journey and my purpose is. And then we're going to get there together. And um, it is just so awesome because he's, I'm a smart aleck and he talks to me in that way. And I believe truthfully, 8 billion people on the planet. I believe that's how he does it. I don't know how he does it like that, but I believe he and I have that. That's the type of God he is. That's the relationship we get to have with him. And it's very personal and it's very about how I operate. And he, so I know that whatever relationships he brings into my life or takes out of my life or whatever is happening, he knows what I have the capacity to take care of and be a part of and who has that for me in return. And um, so I love it when, you know, we, we've dispensed with subtlety and sometimes it can be a little bit before the answer or the, the, you know, revealing, but um, that's an awesome idea to, you know, go plug those in because, you know, we don't know, we don't want to forget those jewels. Those things are important to finishing the story. So that's awesome. Right. It's been very gratifying. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I like, I, I, I trying to read as much as I can of each of the people who um, are on the podcaster book, but I'm not able to read like the whole book for everybody because they're happening too fast. <laughs> yes. but, <laughs> I as love a book to launch read. manager, I'm in the same uh, <laughs> position. So. Yes. I've had a couple of authors that I've had on go, you actually read my whole book? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go there. Um, you know, like a couple of the early on uh, guests and Bob Goff was my first guest and I've read three of his books, but that was in years ahead. I mean, yeah. he's the one that just kind of went, I'm your first guest here, what day? And I was yeah. just like, oh my gosh. So I, okay. I'm sure that was probably my least well-functioning podcast episode, but it's the one that everybody likes the most so far, probably because of Bob, he's just a hoot. Um, but anyway, I loved, I did take a look and in, in your introduction and when you're talking about, um, I was raised in Michigan when you're talking about the forests and the, and the, and the seasons and all that, I'm in Arizona. We don't have seasons. We have hot and less hot. Um, (laughs) and right now it's 115 today. Um, I don't envy you. No, (laughs) I don't. But I had a friend who, because of her health got she as she called it benched so she was at home but not because she couldn't like go out of her house but she couldn't drive so she began prayer walking because that is what she felt was now her job she was going to be a prayer warrior every time we had a women's retreat I was a women's ministry director she would handle like a breakout session in regard to that or she would you know have some you know, interesting way that like that her relationship with the Lord for us to begin and end with prayer or even how to help people understand that there wasn't a set way that you do this, that this is a personal relationship with you and God. And that's your conversation. But at one retreat, she introduced prayer walking and said that we should walk the schools walk our children's classroom, walk our neighborhoods, you know, anywhere where we could have that influence. And so when I got your book and I, and, and read how, you know, that it kind of came about, I just, I just love that part um, because you relate it to not just the physical that's out there, but you relate it to also the conversation you are having and what gets revealed to you in that way as well. So how did this come to here, come to fruition, like to be your idea? So uh, in 2019, uh, we got a Labrador puppy. And I had lived in this house for 15 years at that point. Um, And I mean, I'm out in the country, like I live in the woods, but I'm bordered by farmland. So there's tons of tractors and combines, large equipment out here. This is Missouri. That's just, this is what our state is. Um, and so I never walked out here. I mean, it's gravel roads. It's not, you know, I, if I went walking, which I've done since I was a kid, I would drive into town and go to the park and walk, you know, anyway, when you have a Labrador, they're 
high exercise dogs, right? So he was raring to go. So I started walking out here and it was so amazing because, you know, I could see all these things in nature that were metaphors for the spiritual life, basically. And I started collecting these ideas and even uh, they were like touch points on, on my walk on this little path that I take. And they just became these connection points with God. And uh, throughout the seasons, different ones, of course, because they, because in Missouri, unlike Arizona, we experience all four seasons, which is a huge, I've had friends who move here from Arizona and they say, one of the favorite things we like about this place is there's four actual seasons here. So I'm blessed in that regard. Um, I had them when I lived in Michigan and that yeah, is how I right. used to miss them when I got here. I honestly thought my mother brought me to the gates of hell, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, that, that is how this book came to be. And and it was just so easy for me to just see something and see God's handiwork in it and see his, uh, you know, kind of whispers of love or encouragement or sometimes challenge um, and, and just connect with him in nature. And this became all the more important uh, during the pandemic. And I really grasped. Um, it was a huge comfort to me to know that nature didn't change. When our entire culture was in chaos, nature was the same. A maple leaf was still the same as it was 10,000 years ago, you know, on and on, right? A hickory tree is the same. Uh, a daffodil blooming in the spring is the same. And that was a huge, huge comfort to me on my walks. And so when I, um, the way that this book came to be, cause that was just all, that was just my life. I was just living it. Right. Um, but then in August of 2021, I have this perpetual calendar and it's just of names of God. And I bought it in the mid nineties. So I've just used it really since that time. And in, I think it was August 13th, because I just saw this recently, one of the names of God on this calendar was Hidden Manna. And I'm like, what is that? Like, I was very intrigued. And so it took me on this little path uh, through scripture. And basically, I'm not going to take the whole time to explain this, but um, manna in the Bible is a symbol of God's provision and his presence among his people. And I was trying to say, okay, it talks about hidden manna in Revelation. So we know that can't be the manna that they had thousands of years before in the wilderness that the Israelites ate in those 40 years of wandering. So, so that was a, a symbol, right? Um, and so what does that mean? Because if there's hidden manna in Revelation, maybe there's hidden manna today, right? And so then I was looking, going back through my catalog of memories and all these metaphors on my walks and then looking for things on my walk. And I'm like, you know, I think there's a whole book idea. And I pitched it to my publisher. They gave me the green light. They're like, you got to write this right now. And so I did. Like, I mean, I got started writing. It was within a week and a half or two weeks, I think, of, of giving that idea. Um, which was a crunch because I had just finished launching my teen girl book, uh, teen transforming your thought life for teens. And then I had to immediately transfer into, uh, writing hidden manna. So like we've just talked about previously, like this emotional bandwidth, I don't recommend doing a back to back to back. Because <laughs> It just makes your writing a lot more difficult. But, you know, lucky for me, I had all these stories kind of stored up in my head, you know, so I was just 
putting them on paper or in my Microsoft Word document to be more accurate. Um, <laughs> but Not yeah, no typewriter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean that's how I learned to type. I've yeah. told my kids that my three teenagers, I'm like, I actually like we had to like use whiteout, you know, and like push it back <laughs> over, and they're like. When was that? The 1850s? I'm like, no, 1994, you know? (laughs) It's really not that long ago, kids, you know? But thank goodness we don't have to do that now, you know? (laughs) Right, because man, it takes forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, 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 when I was reading it, and then I, I, I like to do this. I like to look at the chapters of the authors I have on that I feel like might speak to me. And I, and I have no rhyme or reason about that, but I saw that your last one was called Sunset. And I, my, people get mad at me when I say I'm old, but the reality is I have more life behind me than I probably do in front of me, unless the Lord's going to let me live to 120, which I don't even know that I want to do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Sunset being like, it's in your seasons, but it's also a season you know, in and of itself. And so for me, I read that one and then your introduction. And I just, I feel I walk in my neighborhood. It has eight lakes, man-made lakes. And I have to walk, I live on one, but I have to walk a little bit to get to the next one. And then five of them are connected. And I walk, I'm, I'm right next to the water the whole way and the whole way back. And for me, yes, if I start looking, I can see all the hidden manna that you're talking about and the actual nature of it. But I also find that for me, the other hidden manna is I get the best direction from the Lord during that time. I get the best ideas. You know, some people say they get their best ideas in the bathroom or when they go in the shower or whatever it might be. For me, I mean, it's almost immediate. It's like if when I'm walking, I detoxed and I got all the stuff out of the way. And then all of a sudden, I, I mean, and I'm like, I have to take my phone and like speak into the notes or something real quick to say, you know, oh, that's what he said about this. You know, not like I'm going to forget, but I mean, just seriously, sometimes it can be that many nuggets while I'm out there. And uh, so this hidden manna on a country road just really resonated with me when it's 120 here. I'm not out there able to do that every day (laughs) because even at five in the morning, it's 105. Um, but as it starts to cool down, I'll get back out there. And I, and I just love this whole philosophy. I I think that people too don't understand that, you know, in that conversation with the Lord or in that personalness with our relationship, he's going to have every one of those things speak differently to each of us. So it'll be the fact that it's called hidden for me is like speaking to the personal nature of it is that mine is going to be hidden from you. But we're all receiving the same provision, the same manna. So well, sure. And yeah. and what we, you know, back when the Israelites received it, it was just for that day. Mm-hmm. The only day they got double was on so they didn't have to collect it on the Sabbath, right? Right. Um, but it really was to increase their dependence on God. And so when I think about now, I keep going on these walks, and one of my chapters is called Litter, and it's about the alcohol bottles that I see or cans on on my walk. Um, and when I was writing that book, uh, you know, I was still in an abusive and alcoholic marriage. And that meant a whole different thing to me at the time. Now, just this morning, when I saw a can of Coors Light on the side of the road, um, I was like, now I can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for setting me free. Whereas before, it was just praying for my addict to be set free because of the tyranny it was placing me under and my children and just the burden that it places on someone to live in an alcoholic family. But now it's, it's just kind of almost a moment of awe and my anger is gone and my 
desire for vengeance because alcohol is what destroyed my marriage. It's what destroyed my parents' marriage. <laughs> so this, this has been a, you know, a portent of evil in my entire life ever since before I was born. But now seeing those, you know, um, pieces of litter, it's, it's a way to praise God because he set me free from that bondage. And, and it's no I, longer litter in your home. The, the metaphor right. is no longer, you know, you can see it out there and you've healed of it so that it doesn't, it's not some triggering event. It's a reminder of God's grace and in setting you free and, and setting you free from the desire to, uh, I, I, I understand completely. I have had some form of abuse from birth through my marriage and, um, you know, letting go of let, you know, your right to anything in those situations and allowing God just to contend with them. And you just need to be who he's asked you to be. And especially when we have children, especially when we have children, my daughter came to me in the midst of stuff and told me, I, I wish you were angrier, but I am so proud of how you've carried yourself. And I just want you to know it's an example to me. And she was 15 at the time. And I was just like, I didn't know if I was what I was doing right, wrong or indifferent. If I, by staying as long as I did, was I teaching her that this isn't how, this is how a woman should, you know, let herself be treated, you know, all of that, all of that. And I know you'd probably walk through the same uh, steps. And so I think that's awesome that that conversion can take place. And that is really truthfully the healing. A lot of people think that Christians are going to have some churchy answer about how we walk out of healing, but it, it's not about that. It is a hard work. The, the trial you're going through, you may not get delivered out of, you may get delivered through. And, Correct. and so that healing is going to come in some very interesting forms. Um, and it's not a one size fits all. I mean, other than our God is one size fits all. <laughs> and when I think about it being hidden manna for me in 2021, seeing those, you know, little smashed bottles of alcohol or cans of beer, um, it was to remind me to pray. It was to remind me to turn to God and that God was my strength and that I needed to have as much compassion in my heart as I could. So I didn't become bitter and just uh, mauled with anger basically. But now it's still hidden manna. It's just a different form because this is what I need in my life right now, which is different from what I needed then. It's the exact same thing, but it's a call to praise and worship God instead. And he is not telling me. In fact, he has told me not to pray for those people anymore because he's trying to cut the bond that I had to them, to these toxic people in my life. And so when you, when you pray for someone, you have a bond with them. Uh, even in the spiritual realm. And so God has specifically for this time period that I'm in right now, which is healing. Um, I spent a year grieving and now I'm in the healing stage. And in this healing stage, God has said, I don't want you to pray when you see these items because you need to be working on yourself now. You need to be separate, set apart from those people so that you can heal. And so that's where I'm at right now. And I feel, I, I only think that healing is possible when you have been through something like abuse, that you have to take time away from that situation to get strong and healthy and uh, reconnect in a good way with the Lord. Um, not that I wasn't connected to the Lord, but it's, it's a different kind of connection to the Lord in this season. Um, it's just healthier, I think. And uh, it's it's just interesting how God can use something in different ways in different stages of our lives. Absolutely. So I can't I can't recommend enough, everybody, for hidden manna on a country road. 
Um, one of the things that I end a podcast episode with is that I ask everyone, and um, I've had 23-year-olds, I'm 61, so there's it's the gamut, but if you can think of one thing that like the the one thing in, that's the most important to you that you wish you had known sooner that you would like to pass on. I know there's a, probably a lot. So you, if, but if you can kind of like hone in on something. This is such a nerdy answer. Oh, it's fine. Um, the power of compound interest. Oh. So okay. I wish I had been investing uh, much earlier in my life. So I, I, you know what? And I can understand that. I mean, you've walked through um, the end of, of your marriage. And, and so a lot of times we make decisions because we're making them in tandem and there may or may not have been good ones, or maybe we didn't know it, whether it's out of naivete or ignorance, whatever it might or be. Financial abuse is yeah. my situation. Yeah. And so yeah. I wish I had known I could have taken this out as an account on my own. And it's just, yeah, you know, I mean, you, but I started last year. So, um, you're and it's never too late to start, but I wish I would have started 20 years ago too. That's awesome. I, uh, when I'm on social media and they say those funny things, like three words, uh, or, or what would you go back and tell your younger self? And you get three words. And I say, buy Amazon stock. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, it's kind of like along that. the same lines, right? Right. <laughs> Buy Home Depot, whatever. Yeah. Something because when I had wanted to get myself together before I ended my marriage, um, I it, the the infidelity was way too long and, and there was no reciprocity on trying. Um, but there was a triggering event and it may or smart or not, I ended it. And um, through the divorce process, I got alimony and some other stuff. But I still didn't have like retirement. I had worked for our, our company, our family business uh, that we had created. And so I had not taken a paycheck. So at social security, I don't have any kind of listing and I can use his multiplier, but, but still, you don't know all of this stuff. And I was in bookkeeping in accounting, but I still didn't have, I, that was a very controlling my time and our money was controlled. It was a, um, it was a, that was the the kind of emotional abuse situation. So I, I think that's awesome advice. Last year, my 19 year old son told me he had started a 401k and I was 44. And I was like, it is so not okay for him to have one and not me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's fine for him to have one, but I surely should have one if I'm 26 years older than him, you know? My so. daughter has hers at Amazon. And when she was 10, my ex-husband and I were married at the time, we did Financial Peace University. And I don't know if you're familiar, but Dave Ramsey tells this story. If, I, if a 16-year-old puts $100 a month away till they're whatever, they'll have a couple million dollars. And so she heard that. And so she's being very wise with her money right now. Um, she wasn't with her first two jobs, Chick-fil-A and a, and a preschool she worked at, but now she does have a 401k and she she's more situated to not be in a bad place when she gets older, no matter how her life goes, than I am. I mean, at 61, you know, it's not too late, ever too late, but I don't know if I get 30 more years or just a couple, but yeah. I'm, I'm listening to the Lord and being obedient. And yeah. I think, uh, Practical advice is always welcome. <laughs> I'm a very practical person. So yeah, if you know me, that's, you'll know that's true about me. So, well, it has been a joy having you on. I enjoy thoroughly following you on social media. A lot of times people feel like a hundred percent of who we are isn't out there. I know you aren't hiding anything. I'm not hiding anything, but we don't have to dump all of our direct out there. We just we're, we're showing how the Lord is working in each of our lives. And um, I appreciate like the support that we all have for each other and the compel groups. Um, it's just lovely because in a world right now where everything is just negative and divisive and evil, it, it's just nice to not have a group of people, women in particular, who are not happy for each other's successes and aren't in there being each other's cheerleader and promoting. And, and that's exactly what you get to do every time you're a launch team for somebody. And I think that 
is so incredible. I, I'm a pastry chef. And when I make a wedding cake and the bride comes in, you know, I live for that. <gasps> you know, I don't want to go, oh, you know, I want, <laughs> I <Yes>. want to. <laughs> and so I, that's exactly how I feel about any interaction I get to see when I see you come on uh, social media. And I love it. I know you've, you've walked through hurt and you've walked through pain and, and, um, but the fact that you are just transparent and you show what vulnerability that you're comfortable with, I think speaks volumes and it's probably what attracts people to you in the first place. So I am thrilled to have had you on here today. And I want everyone to know that all of Sarah's connection information will be in the show notes. Um, all the connections to get any of her books. I highly recommend Hidden Mana. Um, if you are an author and you're listening to this, because I do connect with a lot of other writers, uh, she's a book launch manager. I mean, her her website's on here as well. So you can reach out to her and, and you will not be disappointed. It will be a wonderful experience to engage with her, as you will know if you've listened to this episode as well. So my connection information will be there. I would really appreciate it if you'd come give a listen on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, uh, give a rate, a review, share it, uh, anything, any engagement. Um, and you can reach out to Sarah on her website or me on mine if you want to uh, connect and get any other information. So I want to thank you all for coming to class today and class dismissed. <laughs>